Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Hi everyone, Ron Spomer back with another Ron Spomer Outdoors podcast in which I read some old articles that I've written over the years. My gosh, I think it's been 44 years that I've been writing outdoor articles for various magazines and it's kind of fun to go back and see what I did or didn't know back in those days and how both the hunting and the equipment we used to hunt have changed. And I found a piece here from a magazine called Meyer Lake and Trail. And it was kind of a regional magazine up in the Great Lakes state somewhere, brought to you by a, a store that sold all sorts of sporting goods. So it was sort of like an, an internet website for a company these days. Back then, they used magazines. At any rate, it was, uh, it was quick, good work, and they had me do a lot of things on gear because, of course, if you read articles on gear, you're more likely to buy the gear so. Let's dive into this one. It's called Scopes for All Seasons by Ron Spomer. When I was a young hunter, I fell for bad advice. Someone told me scope sights were crutches for dudes who couldn't shoot. I believed this nonsense until I discovered my 6mm Remington was capable of shooting accurately a lot farther than I could precisely aim its open sights. Telescopic sights aren't mechanical supports for the visually impaired. They're crucial tools for ethical riflemen who want to place their shots perfectly for quick humane kills. For that reason, scopes are becoming the sight of choice atop muzzle loaders and slug shotguns as well as rifles. Even turkey hunters are learning that a scope can improve their shotgun aim and virtually eliminate crippling loss. Scopes perform two important functions. They enlarge the target image for a clear view, and they place the target and sighting device, the reticle, on the same plane of focus so the eye sees both clearly. This sharp focus eliminates the inefficiency of open sights, which, because the human eye cannot simultaneously focus on a rear sight, a front sight, and the distant target, contribute to inaccurate bullet placement. Bright, sharp telescopic images are especially helpful for older hunters whose eyes, by nature, are slower to focus between near and far images. And yes, anyone with impaired vision will shoot better with a scope. But even young hunters with 20-20 eyes need scopes for long shots with flat shooting rifles like 
270-30-6 7mm Remington Magnum. Also in heavy brush, the glass magnified image make games stand out from limbs and leaves. Old timers are fond of turning up their noses at anything more powerful than a 4x scope. 4 power will do it all, they say. You don't need more power than that. Then they tell the story of poor Jim and his overpowered 3 to 9 variable who missed a quick shot at a 30 point buck because his scope was set on 9x and the deer stood up at 50 yards and all Jim saw was hair. Well, that inf infamous hair in the scope scenario doesn't happen often. A deer practically has to be running you over to completely fill the scope. Yet that very thing happened to me once. I screwed my variable up to 2x, no, up to 8x in anticipation of a long a crossing field shot, but the buck suddenly bolted and dived into a line of brush. Then the deer made a hard left turn and raced down a trail that passed less than 20 yards from my tree stand. He came upon me so suddenly that I had no time to turn down the scope. And when I raised the 270 Winchester to shoot, I really did see hair, the whole hair and nothing but the hair. However, after the buck had run 30 yards beyond me, I could pick out his chest, and at 40 yards I had a clear sight picture and the buck. Those old traditionalists are partly right, though. A 4X really will do the job on deer-sized game at nearly all reasonable shooting ranges. It's a great general-purpose scope that almost never gets you in hair trouble, but there are better options for specific purposes. Take that old 3-9X that old Jim was using, for instance. That has become the most popular variable in the country for good reason. Versatility. Screw it down to 3x and it's a fine wood scope for whitetail and bear. If you find yourself suddenly facing uh, across a wide clear cutter grain field, you can crank it up to 6x. And when you need to help a farmer trim his overachieving groundhogs, dial in 9x and pick off those pesky alfalfa munchers at 300 yards, no problem. One minor drawback to the 3 to 9 variable is slightly heavier weight, usually 2 or 3 ounces more than fixed 4Xs, which shouldn't be a problem unless you're planning to backpack the Rockies. Depending on the manufacturer, 3 to 9X variables are often shorter than 4X scopes, so there's no excessive bulk. Where many 3 to 9 users get in trouble is range estimation. Consistent users of fixed power scopes develop a mental image of how large an animal appears in the scope at various distances. But when a scope is frequently adjusted up and down in power, relative image size changes and the user cannot develop this range estimation skill. As long as users realize their modern rifles shoot fairly flat up to 250 or 300 yards and they need not hold over deer-sized game out to those ranges, this shouldn't be a problem. If variables are your idea of the perfect scope, you should assess your shooting before automatically buying that 3 to 9x. If, for instance, you shoot a lot of chucks or squirrels and only hunt deer for a few days each year, you might be better served with the 4 to 12x. You'll use the higher powers for most of your precision shooting, but you'll have that low power for deer season. Confirmed varmint shooters will want to uh, want their high-end variables in the 6 to 24x range. That will match their flat shooting 22 250s, 220 swifts, and 243s. Woods hunters might scoff at the very idea of a 24 power scope, 
but they've probably never tried to hit a head of a rodent at 300 yards. The beauty of high-end variables is the ability to fine-tune magnification matching air conditions. So if haze and heat shimmer give too much distortion at 24 power, you dial down to the optimal power setting. It's also easier to scan the field and locate targets at 6x than crank things up before the shot if you need to. For big game hunting only, a variable in the 2 to 8x range might be ideal. This glass is slightly lighter and more compact than most 3 to 9 models, and it's the all power, it's really all the power anyone could need for long range antelope, sheep, and elk hunting. The 6x is considered perfect for antelope hunting, and 2x is ideal for dense brush hunting. The truly powerful Leary will appreciate the 1.5 to 4x low power variables. These are perfect for deep woods and heavy brush whitetail hunting. At 1.5x there is virtually no magnification, just a bright image with crosshairs superimposed on the target. Aiming is fast and easy and faster than traditional open sights really. Field of view is extra wide too. Low power variables are tailored for short range calibers like 3030 Winchester and 32 Remington. But the little scopes are also perfect for muzzle loaders and shotguns throwing slugs or buckshot. Many shooters are taken aback at the suggestion of putting a scope on a black powder rifle. It doesn't fit with tradition. Well, that's the only reason I can fathom for not using one. If you want to play Daniel Boone to the hilt, stick with open sights. But if you're more interested in shooting as accurately as possible, give that smoke pole a looking glass. Anything up to 4x is perfect. Where shotguns are mandatory for deer hunting, a scope can improve accuracy considerably. Most manufacturers have begun marketing special shotgun scopes built with extra long eye relief and they're set parallax free at 50 or 75 yards. Parallax is the apparent shifting of the target in relation to the crosshairs and is corrected for various distances by turning the objective ring of the scope. High power varmint and target scopes have this adjustable ring externally accessible, but most hunting scopes do not, thus they must be set at the factory. Standard big game scopes are set parallax free at 100 or 150 yards. By the way, a 50 yard parallax free shotgun scope might be perfect for a muzzleloader rifle too. The increasing popularity of handguns for hunting has led to development of excellent long eye relief scopes built extra tough to withstand the heavy recoil of 44 magnums and even more powerful cartridges. You can hold these scopes at arm's length and still see a full field of view. Most are 1.25x to 4x in power. An alternative to standard scopes for handguns, shotguns, and muzzle loaders are the electronic tubes that project an illuminated red dot over the target. The dots are too large for precision shooting at small distant targets, but they're quick and accurate for close range large targets. Whether you buy a fixed or variable scope, you must select an objective lens size and crosshair style. Objective lenses are typically 20mm, 32mm, 40mm, 44mm, and a few going as big as 50mm. The bigger the objective lens diameter, the brighter the image if the power remains constant. Generally, low-power scopes have smaller objective lenses, while higher powers have the larger glass. 
This is necessary because as magnification increases, brightness decreases. For general hunting, a 1.5 to 7x 32mm and 40mm lenses is more than adequate enough through legal shooting hours. But if you hunt the edge of daylight consistently or in dark woods, one of the big bell-shaped objective lenses might be your dream date. Remember though that those big bells require a high mounting base to clear the rifle barrel. That forces you to lift your face from the stock in order to see through the eyepiece. Crosshairs or reticles come in a variety of styles. There are the standard thin reticles, best for small targets and varmints, but often too difficult to see during fast woods shooting. Fatter crosshairs that taper down to thin lines near their junction are better for general big game hunting. Crosshairs with a center dot are ideal for fast target acquisition. The crosshair and post style is popular with open sight shooters. Some target varmint scopes feature multiple horizontal reticles for range estimation. Electronic scopes project a red dot at the aim point. Regardless which scope you buy, you'll find yourself equipped to take full advantage of your firearm's potential. Practice diligently and you'll be the best shot afield. <laughs> Wow, that's a little bit different. So I'm not sure what year that was published, but I think it was in the early 90s. And even back then, we were, we were still were pretty primitive with our scopes because laser rangefinders hadn't been invented yet. Those didn't come out until 1999 when Leica hit the streets with it. And that started the change. And then we could really increase the power in scopes and take advantage of it accurately with ballistic calculators and all the wonderful tools that we have these days. But back when that was written, you just had to estimate the range to your target, and not too many people were shooting past 300, 400 yards. You know, there were a few really experienced riflemen who would do 400 to 500 yard shots, and every once in a while some crazy guy would take a 600. But even though we had the rifles to do it, we just didn't have the scopes, so... That was fairly common practical advice back in those days. But I did notice that the red dots were already out in the market, so that was an advancement. Yeah, can I talk about the red dots? Uh, because... Oh, yeah, yep, yep. Looks like <laughs> Betsy's joined us. Yeah, I have. The red dots made a huge difference for me when I went buffalo hunting, um, Cape Buffalo hunting in the Zambezi yeah. Delta. Remember? It was a Zeiss, if I remember. Yep, it was, but that's not a red dot scope. That was a red illuminated reticle in a regular scope. That's what you really like. The oh. red dot scope doesn't have any magnification, or maybe at most 2x. There's a few of them at 4x. But those project a red dot that you just superimpose over the target. So it's oh, okay. functionally different. But you're right, that red dot really helps a lot of people stick to the target. I mean, didn't that work for you that way? Huge, because the the buffalo is very dark, and mm -hmm. the lines are dark, and my vision, which I've talked about before, is limited in my right eye. So mm -hmm. that was a, it was a confidence um, factor, as well as knowing where that where that bullet was going to land. Yeah, that red dot just really illuminates where you're where you're aiming. I don't, you don't have any question about it. You know, I've started to notice that on some of the more complicated reticles today. We have so many different lines and hash marks at minute of angle marks, and there's so many of them that you can get confused, especially if they bring all those lines within a minute of angle of the center. 
I find it sometimes difficult to find the absolute center of the crosshairs on those. So red dot like that can really help. Well, it's also when you're looking at different reticles or you have your reticle, you need to practice with that consistently, I would think, because one of the things that we have, we all have different kinds of scopes because you are, you know. Yeah, we're never really sticking with the same one. And, and that sort of goes back to the beware, beware of the man with one gun because he probably knows how to use it. Same thing applies to scopes, because if you're like me and you're constantly sampling and testing new scopes and new reticles, you never get confident and comfortable and quick. You always have to think about what's going on. So, yeah, that's a good point. You know what? What I might do, I've learned a lot about optics and they've changed so much since then. I'm going to read something that I wrote more recently on our website. This is from Ron Spomer Outdoors website. And it was in July of 2017, and we've got a little bit of time. Why don't I just read some of that and see if we've got a major difference in, uh, in what we're talking about. This is called Best Africa Hunting Scope um, and really applies to North America as well as Africa. It just, you name it, the scope hunt and the hunting of any antelope or whitetails are pretty much all the same. So this will apply across the board, I think. But I think I went into pretty good detail on this one about the technology and how all the things work in a scope. So let's read that. Tough, durable, consistent. That's what you want in an African hunting scope. Despite our best technology, HD glass, illuminated reticles, ballistic reticles, dialing turrets, parallax adjustment dials, 8x zoom ranges, a rifle scope is really just a front sight. Yes, it is magnified and it's glorified, but still, its main job remains pretty basic. Keep pointing where the barrel delivers the bullet. The brightest, most powerful scope in the world is useless if it can't hold zero. So, put durability first on your list of qualifications for an African hunting scope. Of course, durability is a relative term when you're dealing with a complicated mechanical instrument filled with glass. No matter how tough they're built, scopes remain the weakest link on most rifles. If anything is going to break or malfunction during your African safari, chances are it'll be your scope. For this reason, I always carry a backup scope to Africa, one that's already mounted in a loophole or tally quick detach rings and zeroed to my rifle and load. This backup scope doesn't have to be fancy, but it has to be rugged. The engineers at Loophole tell me that their least expensive scopes are as rugged and durable as their most expensive, and they hold zero just as reliably. That's the kind of assurance that I like in a backup scope. Over the years, I've inadvertently tested this to my satisfaction, having dinged, banged, and dropped Loophole scopes from Arctic mountains to African deserts. None has ever failed. I've bashed a few hard enough to knock them off site, even put dents in them, but after re-zeroing, they went right back to work. I'm sure some other brands are this rugged. I just haven't had as much experience with them. If you have, stick with the scope or the brand that you believe in. Durability is tough to shop for. I mean, how do you recognize it? Manufacturer guarantees and warranties are a good hint. Lifetime guarantees, the kind that say a company will repair or replace a scope for any reason, that suggests the maker doesn't think too many of its scopes are going to break. This doesn't prove that they're the most durable, but it strongly hints at it. Now to test a new scope for basic functional durability, 
fire at least 20 rounds with it mounted on your rifle. 40 would be better. That's usually enough to shake loose anything that wasn't tied down properly. If the instrument runs fine for 40 rounds, it's probably good for 4,000. So, how much magnification does an African hunting scope need? Don't fall for the antiquated advice about low scope power for Africa. A 1 to 4x or a 1.5 to 6x is fine for dangerous game or larger planes game in tight cover. But for virtually all of the safari hunting I've done, a 3 to 9 or a 4 to 12 was more effective. In the southern African hunting countries, we are focusing on this Plains Game Safari series of articles on Ron Spomer Outdoors, so you'll find a mix of dense brush and open grasslands or desert in these areas. You'll encounter most game at 100 to 500 yards, and most shots should fall between 100 and 300 yards. A scope at 4x has more than enough field of view to clearly target a 1,500-pound eland at 30 yards, but it might not have the reach you'll want on an 80-pound springbuck at 350 yards. Even when I hunted buffalo in the dense swamps of Mozambique, my Zeiss 2.5 to 10 victory wasn't too much scope. So, what do you not need in your African hunting scope? Well, you don't need are an oversized main tube or a huge objective lens. Those 30mm, 34mm main tubes and the 50 and 56mm objectives are unnecessary. There's nothing wrong with them if you want to carry them, but they give you no significant usable advantage over smaller versions. And here's why. High quality, fully multi-coated scopes transmit 90% or more of the light that enters them these days. And at 8x, even a 40mm objective produces a 5mm exit pupil. That's more than enough to clearly see a black reticle against the dark height of a wildebeest a good half hour after sunset, if not later. Most African PHs wrap up the day's hunt shortly after sunset anyway, so there's so much game that you rarely have to sit around hoping something will stick its neck out at last light like a wary old whitetail. Big tubes and objectives are really only important if you're setting up an extreme range rifle for shots 500 yards and beyond. Turret dialing can be extended via the extra room in a big main tube. An excellent exit pupil diameter can be kept large at those higher magnification settings. Ballistic reticles or turrets. Choose turret dialing or ballistic reticles if you like, but I'd shy from both in an African hunting scope. Unless you're extremely fast and competent operating an elaborate scope, you'll be better off with a simple duplex reticle and a point-blank range sighting system. You can read all about point-blank range in this RSO post, which obviously you can't link to here, but check my website and you can find it by just searching maximum point-blank range. This will suffice for well over 90% of your shots. If you do want or need to shoot long range using a laser rangefinder and a BD reticle or turret dialing, make darn sure you buy it and train with it long before your trip. And train until you can run it half asleep. Arriving in Africa with new complicated scopes and magnum rifles is probably the most common mistake first time safari hunters make. The animals love it, but all those misses will drive you and your pH nuts. Some southern African hunting grounds are particularly open. Check with your pH and ask what he recommends. If he suggests you may have to take some 300 to 500 yard shots, you will want a scope system that can handle that. Just don't get so preoccupied with complicated sighting systems that you end up fiddling indecisively when you should be concentrating on your shot.
Now, lens coatings that help make the perfect African hunting scope. As with any optical tool, get the best anti-reflection coatings you can afford. The more the better, because these coatings maximize light transmission and minimize glare and flare. When your shot is looking toward the setting sun, you'll appreciate excellent coatings. They are the biggest bang for your buck in optical performance. Lens surface coatings designed to shed fog and fingerprints or resist scratching, like Leupold's Diamond Coat and Swarovski's Swarrow Clean, are not absolutely necessary, but they're good protection against the dust of Southern African hunts. HD lenses, HD and ED lenses, are more hyped than understood. They're, they are a certain type of fluoride glass, and that minimizes something called color fringing. Basically, this makes objects look sharper, crisper, better defined. Fluoride lenses don't contribute much at less than 10x magnification, but at 15x and higher, they really do begin to make a difference. However, since a rifle scope is an aiming device, not a game location and identification instrument, I don't feel that HD and ED glass is of major benefit. If cost is no object, I'd sure get them, but otherwise I'd save my money for ED glass and HD glass in my binocular and spotting scope. Illuminated reticles, this is a personal choice. I've never found them necessary for putting my aiming point on target, but my wife does. A little red center dot helps her focus on the precise aiming spot, and she's not alone. Many shooters find illuminated reticles enhance their concentration and build confidence. When that tiny red dot hovers over the sticking place, you know you're on it. Eye relief. Often overlooked, eye relief can make the difference between a pleasant shot and a sharp cut above the eyebrow. Eye relief is the distance from the ocular lens to your eye when you have a full, complete view without edge blackout. Eye relief is set for each scope at the factory and cannot be changed by the user except slightly by turning the diopter adjustment ring. This moves the ocular lens in and out to accommodate different eye strengths. Most scopes come with anywhere from three to four and a half inches of eye relief. On a hard kicking rifle, or for shooters who creep forward on the stock, which is commonly done when excited or shooting steeply uphill, a minimum of three and a half inches is smart and four inches is smarter. On any scope, note how far the ocular bell or housing protrudes past the actual glass. Then consider how far your brow protrudes beyond your eyeball, because added together, these two protrusions could knock off a half inch of functional eye relief. After all, it is your brow and that metal eye ring that are gonna connect to give you scope brow. A cleaning kit, a lens brush and microfiber cloth in a plastic baggie will suffice if you use them. African dust quickly layers on lenses and that acts to dim the view and increase flare. A quick brushing at midday and each evening should optimize your sighting picture. Avoid wiping unless oil and gunk befoul your lenses. Liquefy that gunk and wipe gently many times instead of pressing and grinding hard one or two times. Remember, you're trying to lift debris off the lens, not grind dust and sand into the lens. You can buy a complete compact field optics cleaning set here. Well, obviously, I can't show you that. And that is the end of that optics piece. And a lot more detail in that one, wasn't it, honey? Right. There's a, there's a big difference in, what was it, mid-90s and then yeah. 
Boy, so. there's just been a lot of changes, you know, and I've learned a lot in that time too. You know, and that's, I think, important for all of us to remember is when we think we know it all, something comes along and we realize we don't. So we need to keep our minds open and keep doing the research and don't assume that everything we read is correct. Because in the past, I've written some things that weren't correct as well. So um, I try to get everything correct. I research as well as I can. And if I find a mistake, I try to go back and correct it. But, you know, back in the 90s and the 80s, if you wrote a magazine article with an error in it, you weren't going to change it after it was published. <laughs> but we can make those changes these days on our website. So, hey, if uh, you folks are interested in any more information on optics and and scopes and that sort of thing. I write quite a few columns on Ron Spomer Outdoors, so you might want to go to that website and check it out. Just uh, do a general search for rifle scopes, spotting scopes, binoculars. Uh, I've got quite a few articles covering that stuff. Most of it is the the details and the inner working like we talked about here with the, the coatings and the ED glass and what all that stuff does. There's so many choices now. I mean, there's so yeah. many manufacturers. There's so many different variables to get a scope so you really have to do your research yeah you got that right and and you know i i kind of feel sorry for anyone new who getting into this because it's so complicated you know it's like me buying some computer stuff i just what <laughs> by the time i learned something they've changed it all and i don't know it anymore but yeah it's similar but i think the important things to remember about optics is that light passes through glass it's pretty much the same stuff you can put a lot of bells and whistles on you've got the dialing turrets now you got different sorts of reticles a lot of uh of math and going on in there and now you've got some bluetooth connections with your range finders where the scope does everything but uh, fry your hamburger for you at the end of the hunt and uh, that stuff makes it complicated but by golly you know some of these people who really work at that and study and practice and train they can drop a bullet on a target out to 800 a thousand yards pretty much every time and they've got the scopes that can handle it but boy you've got to keep the presence of mind that I probably wouldn't when I get a, a big buck or bull in the scope, I'm not going to be thinking about all that. So you might want to consider it. And the more complicated any of our shooting tools are, the more difficult it is for us to function calmly and properly in the field with them. Well, the other thing is if you have all the, the gadgets and gizmos or whatever, you may lose what you're doing because you're so concentrated on on the mechanics. Yeah, and that's an extremely valid point. And it's one of my main arguments is that it, the technology takes away from the primitive thrill we get hunting. For me, and I think a lot of the older folks, we hunted in the Daniel Boone tradition of, I just, for some reason within me, I have this desire to be one with nature, to get out there and interact with her as a natural predator i'm a carnivore i mean i also go out and forage for plants like humans have done forever but we've always been been hunters and we take advantage of what largesse and nature provides i think it's wonderful and if we get too wrapped up in technology and spend all of our time thinking about the lasers and the sighting systems and the wind meters and the ballistic calculators and we lose a lot of that direct connection to nature which is for me the reason i'm out there in the first place but i'm not here to lecture anybody or tell them how or how or not they should enjoy their hunting and shooting it's uh, still a free country to a large degree, <laughs> and I think we should celebrate that and uh, do what makes you feel good as long as it's legal and ethical. I would just recommend that everybody hunt honest and shoot straight.
Hey, this is Ron Spomer. Thanks for tuning in. Again, check out our, our website, ronspomeroutdoors.com. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Ron Spomer Outdoors. And we have a new Patreon page. So if you'd like to become a member of the Ron Spomer Outdoors community, we invite you to check out the Patreon app and join us there. We're going to continue these broadcasts, these podcasts, and all the videos that we're doing on YouTube and just trying to get out the information that I have scrounged up over my 44 years as an outdoor writer. And I'll continue to bring you the um, old magazine adventures from back in the dark ages. are where you think they are. Any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.